Welcome to the Wheel of Sports, home to the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is... Matt Lavery. Oh, no. <laughs> what? That's my name. It's not now, Matt. You've got to say Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery, or you are half the person that I thought I knew. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery. Oh, too late. Too late. <laughs> I'm not even going to edit that. I want a part of me really wants to edit it, like you didn't shortchange me and just say your name once. I'm sorry, man. But I'm not, you know, not going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's get this wheel spinning (laughs) right now. (laughs) You've been away. I have been away. I went to a small place called Warburton. It's got an old, beautiful old factory there. The old sanitarium factory that makes cereal. You know, with the Kellogg family yep. and all that. You know, he, he started made cornflakes to stop people masturbating. But that's another podcast, the wow. <laughs> episode this week. <laughs> it's Rule Breaker. <laughs> rule Breaker. God almighty. Oh, Kellogg was a Rule Breaker. But we won't go into that. There's other podcasts for that sort of stuff. So, beautiful factory, though, honestly. Yeah. On with Rule Breaker. Very, very <laughs> aesthetically pleasing. Um, <laughs> lovely town. So, um shut now uh so i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) have you got one for us uh i have matt rule breaker one now this is a bit of a complex one this one matt because this is all about one of the men in the middle or they they can be women nowadays you know all the after the uh you know revolution and all that so the man in the middle the man in black the referee. The referee. You know. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. See, Sorry, it, straight it, away. Uh, Automatic yeah. reaction. Get an abuse. Matt, I, I cannot tell you how much love and respect I have for a person who loves the rules. Yeah. I, I love the rules. Yeah, I'm sure you're very officious, aren't you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a, a job's worth, yes. shall we say. Uh, I, I would have, uh, you know... Fitted in very well with some uh, regimes. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I I like a rule. I like rules. You know, you're British as well. It's it's like the highway. Co- we brought up on the highway code. A guy it gives a guide for how pedestrians should behave. For heaven's sake, amazing. There's there's these uh, rules to abide by, and we know what happens when the rules aren't followed. Like, things go wrong, Matt. Well, absolutely. And also, these referees and any umpires, if they're not there, there's pandemonium. If if nobody can set the rules, if there's not a a mediator, a neutral, then we can't have the games that we have. They're they're essential, and. The referee I'm going to talk about today, which is the controversial bit, is a man from the Rhondda Valley in Wales. Okay. Clive Thomas. Clive Thomas. Now, I know people of a certain age, soccer fans of a certain age, football fans of a certain age, who call it football, not soccer, (laughs) (laughs) in the UK... For our global audience. ...will know Clive Thomas. And I know a certain side of my home city of Liverpool, the Evertonians, when I say the word Clive Thomas, they will get a visceral reaction. And the reason is, Matt, is on the 23rd of April 1977, this was a joyous, joyous occasion because 
the city of Liverpool had both its teams in the FA Cup semi-final. Ah, well done for the city. So brilliant. And these were two brilliant, brilliant teams with brilliant players. And nothing better than drawing against your home city rivals and travelling up the motorway to go to Main Road, which was Manchester City. Have you heard of Manchester City? Of course. But it had to be played at a neutral stadium. Yeah, so the semi-finals are played at a neutral stadium, and the closest one that could have the capacity of fans was Main Road, Manchester City's old stadium. And it's, it's got kind of the romance of the FA Cup here, because the FA Cup was a massive, massive event in the 1970s, 80s, 90s. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that now, because of the the rise of the Champions League and obviously the the dominance of the Premier League. But yeah, the FA Cup used to be a really special, special moment in the British sporting calendar and probably globally maybe as well. Yeah, it was, it was the holy grail. It was because like any team, for people not familiar with the FA Cup, it's, it, it's hard to kind of explain that any team can join the FA Cup and can compete in it. If I played in the preliminary yeah, rounds see, once. There you go, even an idiot and like you. football, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can. So any team affiliated with local FA in England can play in the FA Cup. Mm-hmm. It'll take you like about 12 rounds to even get close to the professionals. But there's over a thousand teams that enter the very early stage of the FA Cup and they theoretically can go on and play the final at Wembley. This is the greatest knockout tournament in the world. And here we are, we've got two teams from Liverpool playing a game in Manchester, and one of them is going to get to the final. Yeah. Why are we talking about the referee? Well, <laughs> like, well, we'll talk about the referee, because, but before we get there, it's important to understand 1977, the city of Liverpool, you've only got this short trip to make, but people of the same family, one supports Everton, half of the family supports Liverpool, they're getting the train, coaches, um, cars, all to go down, but they're in together. So the win-or-lose stakes on this game it's are massive. extraordinary because you face, if you get beaten, you face just sitting miserably in the car next to your friends who are singing or yeah, yeah. you know on a train or on the bus. It's, it's such a... It's such an anxiety-provoking game in that respect because the stakes are so high. And on this April day, classic Manchester, north of England weather, it has poured down an hour before kickoff to the extent that both goals are just a pool of standing water. Oh, brilliant. This is probably favourable to Everton because uh, Liverpool, famed for their pass and move, very slick game this is going to be hampered by this pitch and Everton are a great team at the time as well but they haven't beaten Liverpool in the previous six years and here's their chance in the FA Cup semi-final do or die now the game goes is going so well it's so entertaining because of the mud because of the slipping and sliding every tackles are going everywhere it is brilliant entertainment and the crowds it's like that old footage when you watch it of just the motion and movement of the crowd but on the footage you can hear the noise of them is extraordinary
capacity crowd of 52,500, a mass of red and blue. It's 2-2, Matt. Okay. And Everton are on top. The clock is ticking down. The game is almost over. And at 2-2, it's going to be a replay. They're going to have to come back midweek, make the journey again. And sort of in Everton, in their heart of hearts, they know if they don't beat Liverpool now when they've got them on the ropes, Liverpool ultimately are a better team than them and they won't survive the replay. They'll get beaten by them in the replay because this is their final. They have to win, do or die. And they're throwing everything at it in the final minutes of this game. And good enough, right at the death, there's a cross that comes in Duncan McKenzie, who's scored earlier in the game, he flicks it on. Brian Hamilton comes out of nowhere right in front of the Liverpool goal, right on the edge of the six-yard box, and he puts the ball in expertly past Ray Clements, England goalkeeper, with his hip. Oh, beautiful. Improvisation. Brilliant. What you love to see on a football field. The Everton fans go wild. The referee blows his whistle. That was a fine ball. It was Buckley finding Goodless. In the middle, there are three waiting. Mackenzie Hamilton! Hamilton's got the touch. And Everton, incredibly. No goal. Why not? No goal. But he why? hasn't blown his whistle and pointed to the centre circle for the ball to be respotted after this brilliant goal. He's blown his whistle and signalled that there's been a foul. The referee is on the spot and he's given offside, I suspect. I think the flag must have been up for offside. Mackenzie turned it in, but Hamilton got the final flick in the net and it's been disallowed. I'm sure that was for offside. Now the crowd, understandably, the commentators are looking over to the linesman. Maybe he spotted offside, maybe he spotted an infringement. Nothing there. <laughs> Nothing at all. The other players, none of the players have appealed for anything. The Liverpool players aren't Liverpool appealing. players have just thought, oh, well, that's a good goal. Guess we're not going to the FA Cup final this year. <laughs> but Nothing. the referee's seen something. The referee's seen something. What did he see? Offside. But the linesman didn't see it. No. Or maybe he's seen a handball. Okay. But he doesn't know. But he knows he's seen something. What do you mean he doesn't know? <laughs> he doesn't know. He's blown his whistle. He's blown his whistle. What, he's somebody asked him, Why have you get, and he says, I'm not sure. Matt, you can imagine how livid the Evertonians are here yeah, at this point. Happy. This is not a nice way to not win <laughs> against your arch rivals. Think about it, that Everton, if they win this game with this goal... They'll play, go on to play Manchester United in the final, who earlier in the season, they had thrashed 3-0 in the League Cup. This is their year to win the FA Cup. So why was the goal? And the goal has been disallowed. There's been no explanation since, Matt. Just no explanation, just didn't fancy it. The closest, Clive Thomas, the Welsh referee from the Ronda Valley, he has been questioned about this many times and he has avoided Evertonians and blue scarves many times. <laughs> he actually, the closest he's come is saying that in no way could I have seen the ball make contact with his hand 
or his arm. That's not conclusive, is it? No, that doesn't <laughs> help, does it? Doesn't, doesn't help. help. It almost stokes the ire of the Evertonians here because he wasn't in a position to spot whether Brian Hamilton had caused an infringement. So why did he give the result, the resulting free kick to Liverpool and disallow a goal that would have changed Everton's history? Not only that... Gordon Lee, who had uh, taken charge of Everton only four months before, he would have won the FA Cup with Everton. Liverpool then went on to dominate in Europe. Maybe they would have got the wobbles after that defeat. And history could have been completely changed. But Clive Thomas was known as the book because he was so fastidious and so fundamentalist about the rules of the game. Who knows why he gave that decision? One of the Everton players who wasn't playing that day believes that he overheard Clive Thomas go over to the linesman as they were coming in at the end of the game and said to the linesman, we'll have to get our story straight on that one. To which the linesman said, you'll have to get your story straight. (laughs) I mean, great by the linesman if that is true. But Clive Thomas, you would think that maybe this would um, impede your career. You know, like in the modern day, the referees have assessors. They did back then, but it seems, you know, every decision now is under scrutiny. High-profile errors, yeah. They can set your career back, for sure. And in the FA Cup semi-final, I mean, there's only one game bigger than the semi-final. And he's made a massive error here. But it didn't seem to hinder him because after that decision... Um, a year later, he's on the list to go to his second World Cup oh, wow. in 1978. So it's a one-off mistake, then? Well, you you know, you, you can forgive someone a mistake, Matt. Yeah. Well, I'm not an Everton fan, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I can, I can quite quickly. <laughs> well, Clive Thomas, um, you know, you have to be a great referee to referee in the World Cup finals. Probably. I mean... You'd have to be the best in the world. And you referee in high-profile games, like in the FA Cup semifinals, he goes to the World Cup finals in Argentina, and he gets a game in the group stage, which is Brazil versus Sweden. Now, that seems like an innocuous fixture, unless you have a good knowledge of the World Cup, when you know that 20 years earlier, they faced each other in the final of yep. the World Cup. And so in 1958, Brazil won uh, against Sweden. And Sweden here, 20 years later, have an opportunity to right the wrong there and to get, you know, level up the scores. There's been a bit of spice in the run-up to this game because the Swedish coach has labelled Brazil as being dirty. He's also put the man in the middle. Oh, Welsh, Clive Thomas in the limelight as well. Not that Clive didn't have any trouble putting himself in the limelight. The Swedish coach has said that Clive Thomas, uh, he's very glad that Clive Thomas has been selected for this fixture because he's a very strong referee. Now that sends a message out to... Putting pressure on him. Yeah, maybe a niggly, dirty Brazil team who are willing to do anything to win mm-hmm. and a referee who is known as the book yeah. <laughs> to really um, lay down the law of the game here in this fixture. Now, 
it was a fairly reasonable and boring fixture where both teams shared a goal. So you won a piece and Clive Thomas is seeing out the end of this game with Brazil putting pressure to try and get the winner. Right at the end of the game, in the 89th minute, Brazil win a corner, comes to nothing. They win a subsequent corner, comes to nothing. They're taking the third consecutive corner right at the death of the game. The ball comes in, Zico, Zico, leaps up, hammers the ball home with his head from about three yards out, takes the win. Two one Brazil puts them right in control of the group, and we're all done. The referee about the referee again because Clive Thomas he blows his whistle, and does he point to the centre spot to show that there's a goal being scored? Oh no, he has turned to the tunnel. Game over. The Brazilians hear the whistle go off celebrating and Clive Thomas as both his arms are pointing to the tunnel to say it's game over. But the Brazilians and the Swedish know that you have to at least kick the ball off again just ceremoniously. But no, no. Clive Thomas has blown the whistle. The full time whistle. While Zico's in the process of scoring the goal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's amazing. He hasn't allowed the play to come to a conclusion. So in his head, he's thinking, well, there's a second left. And... And then he started blowing the whistle, and that second wasn't long enough for the ball to to travel the three yards into the goal. So it's been deemed that this game, there's no stoppage time. And when the corner is chipped in by Nalino, they've played 90 minutes and six seconds. Yeah. (laughs) So the book has said, well, six seconds is six seconds too many. You've had your chance. Time to go on. <laughs> so it's quite extraordinary because I mean that is mad. Did w- there must have been a bit of an outcry from the Brazilians and I'm sure the Swedes were happy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Clive Thomas again was uh, interviewed about this subsequently. He said, "I saw the header." <laughs> Bear in mind, Zico was about three yards out. <laughs> it was close. He said, "I saw the header." I didn't see the ball go in. I turned away. The Brazilians only have themselves to blame. They shouldn't have wasted so much time taking the corner. Wow. <laughs> right, the book. Bear, in, the book. bear in mind that Nolino, when he went to take the corner, he put the ball down in the corner arc and the linesman had stepped in and said, the ball's not in the arc properly before this corner so it was actually his linesman well maybe he should have placed it properly (laughs) he should have placed it properly to begin with (laughs) what a marvellous thing to do I mean yeah that's great isn't it it is amazing and look Clive Thomas has had other indiscretions as well which we won't go into but you know in the modern game where there's all the technology to assist referees you forget 
how very quickly you can forget how hard the job was without any of those technological assistance oh, yeah. but also I mean, how how hard those the technology makes the job now yeah it's a, it's a really hard job i mean there's no technology lower down the pyramids is there and it's that's hard yeah and you think you know a referees always get abuse when they get the decisions wrong or whatever or make it nobody a ever decision. says the referee did a good job well if they're doing ever. a good job they disappear no one notices them because they just make the game flow and it's interesting as well how it varies from country to country and this is probably what makes the Glyve Thomas story compelling is because you know every country has its own kind of um, way of refereeing so in England is known as free-flowing and they allow strong tackles and they want the game to be fast whereas in Spain the players have overly protected and the referee will blow for all the minor indiscretions and it's very stop start and then when you combine that at a world cup where you have referees from different nations with different cultures this is where it gets really interesting but a referee who has the testicular fortitude to blow his whistle while he's just seen zico (laughs) from like three yards out head the ball into the goal to blow the whistle and to say no goal is no goal. just like you have to have a strong, a thick skin to referee. But yeah. my goodness, he must have a really thick skin because you, you know you're inviting a hammering. And back then as well, the the refereeing was like strictly amateur. So Clive Thomas, he um, at the previous World Cup, I think he was the second youngest referee on the roster. So he's, you know, a high, high achiever, but he used to um, sell all of the refereeing supplies. So he used to, like, sell the kit, oh, right, whistles. Kit. I was going to say supplies, what, like two different yeah. cards? Yeah, red, red and yellow <laughs> cards. Which yeah. one do you need? But it's, it begs the question, like, well, at first when you think refereeing supplies, you think, well, a black T-shirt and a whistle? Like, what else do you need? And then you, th- you get into watches. Boot oh, like yeah. jewelry, oh, yeah. flags, flags, boots, like things to check a net. Things <laughs> you know, yeah, different. You know, do you? Because referees, like you, you don't notice a lot of the referees' duties. Like they check players' studs. They still do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They like do. You would assume they check that you for jewelry. Yeah, jewel. Yeah, check you for jewelry. They check you for. Uh, I don't know what else. <laughs> I think I've been checked for gum before. Really? Maybe. Maybe I'm imagining that. Chewing gum. Yeah, <laughs> I might be. I might not have happened. <laughs> Maybe they just wanted one. <laughs> yeah. Can I have a bit of yours, please? <laughs> so, Matt, this was a difficult one for me to choose in the category of rule breaker because he's actually a rule stickler. He's a rule stickler, but I can't help thinking that he's a rule stickler who either has got a very, very strong sense of the rule of the laws of the, the game, not the rules, the laws of the game, or he has a kind of a, maybe a grudge against certain teams or a, a wish for the result to be how he would like it. And he's also coincidentally got the power to deliver that because mm. uh, Brian Hamilton, he, he had disallowed a goal in the previous year uh, for him, there was a game. I think it might be in Ipswich Town were playing, and he was trying to get the wall to move back, and the players weren't fully compliant straight away. So he just gave all of them a yellow card. <laughs> it's just like 
part of me really wishes that happened more. And he just sounds like he's a bit of a megalomaniac, doesn't he? A bit, bit power hungry. Yeah, it's, but a part of me also thinks that that's what like a PE teacher at school would do. You know, to teach a lesson to say, well, if you don't get back in time, I'm going to give you all the yellow card. But as a PE teacher to teach youngsters to, you know, stick by the rules, knowing that that would never happen in the pro game. Yeah. But he's in the pro game just doing what a PE teacher would do. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. I think is just am- even, he's not even cowed by the biggest stage in the world. <laughs> like the World Cup final. I don't know how or why you'd ever want to get into being a referee. As you said at the beginning, you just get abused from everybody. Now us as well on this podcast. <laughs> we're putting the boot in as well. Would you um would would you ever try to be a referee? And I just I just don't think so. To get to get to no. No way. Just to get abused and sworn at by millionaires if you were successful or if you weren't successful to get abused <laughs> and, <laughs> and sworn not be at successful. by yeah, I just think like, you know, it's it, it, it must be a lot of hard yards. The people who do it must really love the sport um, and love what they can contribute to it. Because otherwise, I just don't know why you'd why you'd get into it when there's. In, I'm talking in soccer and football here, but there's such disrespect um, from the players to the officials that you know it must it must just be really, really, really rubbish. Well, I'll we'll finish on on this. Uh this story, which is um, when I was in primary school, you can switch off listener now if you. <laughs> Here we go. But when I, when I was in primary school, and we we would occasionally have a non-uniform day, this was a massive open door opportunity for you to wear your favourite team's kit for uh-huh. the boys anyway in school. Generally, stereotyping, we would all come in in our favourite soccer football kit. And that was great because you always played at, at lunchtime and recess, so you'd be out there all the time, but you you were in your hero's kit. And yeah. it was great. Those days were great. And there was one lad in school no way. whose dad was a, a registered referee. And he would come in in full referee that is kit. miraculous. With... Black shirt, black shorts, black socks pulled up to the knee. Remember, no shin pads, so that looks quite silly. Is football boots and a flag. Oh, wow. So he's gone... A fluoro orange and yellow flag. And he also had cards and a whistle. I mean, a level of detail to, like, I mean... That's not really non-uniform, though. That's fancy dress. (laughs) Isn't it? It's cosplay. Yeah. What do you need the flag for? <laughs> but I just love as well the beauty about it is that I would think that if you did that, you have a strong. You're you're basically a magnet for the school bullies. But the secret power, you've got a whistle, and you can book them and send them off. Oh yeah. I mean, like, you can put them in the book. You can report them, and I just think that is like. You know, many strategies over the years have been discussed to how to deal with the school bully. This is it. Dress the victims in full free kids and get, get your cards out. That is the natural progression. I mean, I'm not sure I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but fair play to your mate. He wasn't my mate. No. Uh, <laughs> Was it you? 
<laughs> no, it wasn't me. And I, I wish it was in so many ways. But it's tough being a man in the middle. It's tough being a rule breaker. It's tough being the rule maker. So well played, Clive Thomas. Sorry to all the Evertonians for bringing this sore, sore point back up and opening a wound again. Um, and that's it. Rule breaker, Clive Thomas. Breaker. Well, thank you very much, Free. Uh, that was fantastic. And thank you very much to all our listeners out there. Uh, please do get in touch with us at the show on Twitter and Instagram at The Wheel of Sport. Um, shoot us a message. Got a new website as well uh, where you can go back and listen to all our old episodes. Please give us a review wherever you get our podcast and uh, share it with your friends. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much, Ian. We'll see you next time for the greatest sports stories ever told Bye. on The Wheel of Sport. <laughs> Virtually, and they've got to start all over again on this same ground next Wednesday.